following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, episode 787 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, the wildlife viewer, Brittany Page. I know. Did you see the bird outside? <laughs> the bird in the back? I. What is happening? It, it is like... It's running an agility course. An urban safari all around <laughs> us. Yeah, well, we have this bird, I think. I think it's multiple birds. Okay, well, because one's kind of a little plump, fatty. Uh huh. You know the red-breasted robins, mm-hmm. and the other one has like he's a little thinner, and he's got like a a an odd coloration around his eyeball, around his eye. Yeah, yeah. So there's two, at least two, two that I've recognized. <laughs> okay, yeah. So we have these. Lights that are just kind of hanging out on the back patio where there's nowhere really to put them and they light up at night. And so on one side, it's like an LED light on the other. They're L shaped. So they they're supposed to sit on. We used to have them up on the cinder block wall in our backyard, in our California backyard. Mm -hmm. And on the top of them is a solar panel so they can charge and then light up when it turns when it gets dark. Yes, but yeah. during the day obviously nothing is happening with them and we've noticed that every single day there is at least one bird that is I mean I said running an agility course it's doing something in its mind like that because it will get a running start and go over the light like it's a jump. We we have video, but we'll put it on the Facebook page so everybody can also enjoy. The video isn't great, so well, I don't mean, get super excited. Sh- it'll show what's going on. Yeah, and this happens for hours. Hours. Hours the bird will be out there. If we don't go outside and interrupt the bird, the bird will stay there doing this for hours. And then, Well, and I... Th- I th- well, I'll get to what I think may be happening because you know I'm a, a naturalist. I'm Ooh, I'm like David Attenborough. You're a birder. Oh yeah, that's right. They're called birders. That's how much I know about it. <laughs> and uh, the the they're out there for so long. If it hadn't rained all day yesterday, mm-hmm. there would have been mounds of bird shit. I mean, there was before it started raining. It was just a bird shit fucking festival. It was like a like a Grateful Dead concert with all the trash out there. Yeah. In between and around the little solar lights. Mm-hmm. And then it rained and washed it all away, thankfully, because I was going to have to go out there with the spoon you eat with and kind of scrape it off. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the birds are checking themselves out in the reflective side of the solar panel. Yeah. And like trying to help their buddy get out of the out of the the light or something. <laughs> that doesn't make any they're just, sense. It really does illustrate why they're called bird brains because they're dumb <laughs> as fuck. They are not smart birds. Yeah. Well, listen. I really hope that this conversation is not distasteful. 
Oh, as, oh as, yeah. As was our conversation surrounding rats on the previous episode from one listener, Ben. Yeah, it makes me wonder if there were more people. Well, let me just read. He sent a voicemail, and we might as well just get to the voicemail now. Sent in a voicemail with this email attached, or this email with the voicemail attached. I found the conversation around rats in the city a bit distasteful and strange, but it got me thinking. This voice clip is more or less me thinking about it. Distasteful? I don't remember talking about a rat genocide or like... Well... (laughs) Just because it was something we weren't necessarily prepared for because we've never lived in a city... Well, I just don't know what the fuck would be distasteful about well, anything we said. I also so put a pin in that not being prepared for because I I want to play the clip first and then talk about it because we were going through I guess I'm just going to talk about it now that we, we were <laughs> we were going through different common responses that we've been getting when you posted the rat video the mm-hmm. the blind rat video and one of them was are you surprised which is a common refrain that you hear on the internet. It's like people can't think of other things to say about anything. So like if you make a post about a news story, they say, does this surprise you? Like the only reason the you're time. posting something is yeah. because you're surprised. Like the only reason anyone is ever posting anything on social media is because they were surprised by it. That's the, the rule. The hundreds of videos I've done about the news and about Donald Trump, the insurrection, invariably every single one there are several comments that say are you surprised by this yeah which is i get people maybe just don't have something else to add and they want to comment or be part of the conversation i don't really know what it is but we've gotten that a lot i'll tell you what it is fucking irritating We've, (laughs) we've gotten it a lot about the rat thing including from ben here because that that's also the question are you surprised no we're not surprised that there are rats in a city that's going to happen. I guess what surprises me is that there's like blind rats and also that like I can't take my trash out because there's rats like surrounding it that are on guard with little like swords and stuff. It, it became a lot more elaborate than I thought yeah. it was going to be. Right. You know what I mean? That's been the more surprising part of it for me. But let's let's get into the distasteful nature of our what we tried to have be an entertaining intro segment. Hey, Brittany and Jesse, this has been in Knoxville, and I was listening, I haven't even gotten all the way into your episode from the other day, but I'm listening to you guys talk about rats in D.C. I'm originally from Baltimore, and I don't, I don't know, it's, there's always been millions and millions of rats in cities. Um, I thought that might be something you guys were aware of, moving to D.C. I mean, <clears throat> there's probably hundreds of thousands for every one block uh, in New York, similar in Baltimore. I mean, I remember being a kid and uh, my my dad and his friends would drink beer on the back porch of our house and shoot rats as they ran through the alley or ran down the fence line, which I know is isn't great. But you know, uh, you know he's he's from a different world. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's from the Philippines, so uh, shooting rats. Anyway, my my point is uh, that rats are. Uh, you know, they're a big part of city life. Um, and if you ask anybody that's grown up in an urban environment, they would probably tell you the same thing. Uh, you know, uh, you may not be used to seeing it. I don't know what part of D.C. you live in, but there's some really uh, poor areas of D.C. where 
you know, rats are just an everyday part of life. And, and I grew up in a very poor part of Baltimore and, uh, you know, rats were just, they were just part of the background, just like, uh, uh, you know, uh, heroin needles and crack pipes in the gutters and uh, gunshots in the middle of the night. Uh, you know, rats were just part of uh, the, the the urban theme. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, it's just kind of, it's weird to me how, how much you guys are making a big deal out of this. But I guess if you come from a world where you don't see rats on a regular basis, it probably is uh, a little startling. But, um, uh, and and... You know, I'm not saying uh, think about the the people that uh, don't have the luxury of moving out of an environment like that. Um, even though, in a way, I am. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I just thought it was kind of strange how how big of a deal you guys are making out of uh, rats being in D.C. I mean, again, it's an it's an urban environment, and anywhere where you're going to have millions and millions of people living in an area uh the more condensed the area the more rats you're gonna have i mean um and jesse made a comment like the 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 rat control is doing a bad job i mean uh, i mean you for every one rat you see out in broad daylight imagine how many rats you don't see that are under the uh, you know in the dark um, and, and rats, you know, they breed so quickly that it's it's an impossible job. It's, it's, it is definitely, uh, you know, uh, employment uh, guarantee. I mean, you got job security if you're a rat catcher because you're not going to catch a, a fraction of them, let alone control the population and bring it down. I mean, I, they probably don't make enough rat poison in the world uh, uh, to do that. And I, and I wouldn't suggest using rat poison because who knows what else you're hurting. Anyway, I just thought that it was kind of strange. Um, I don't know why. Maybe because I grew up in an environment where rats were everywhere that it, it kind of uh, irritated me a little bit to hear you two make such a big deal out of it. But, you know, I, at the same time, I have to take a step back and remember that you didn't grow up in a place like that. So it's, it, is, it is very different for you. So... It went on for another minute and a half or two minutes, but we'll we'll cut it there. Well, I appreciate the line in the email about this is an example of thinking through something in real time because you can hear that Ben is grappling with the response that he had and trying to figure out why he had that response. Yeah, but he after he attached the voicemail, he wrote how distasteful it was. Yeah. After he thought through it in real time, he wrote how distasteful our conversation was. I, I, I still looking back, the most distasteful thing about this entire thing has been talking about crack pipes and heroin needles and shooting at rats. You know, I don't. Okay, so let me say. I don't fucking know. Let me say a few of my takeaways. So that was definitely one of them where, and, and we've actually heard this very little in terms of the response to our conversations surrounding rats. There were a few comments, I think, on YouTube that I saw about this where people brought brought up, think of the people who are living in this environment and have no choice. And in, in the call, Ben said, think of the people who don't have the luxury of moving out of an environment like that. We moved into this environment. 
Yeah, and, and, and also we're not bitching. Well, yeah, of course. We're trying to make like a funny intro segment, which is very difficult to do 800 times, let alone yeah. continuing after 800 times, especially when your life is not super exciting, okay? <laughs> Rarely um, leave the house other than to walk around the neighborhood. <laughs> um, so we moved into an environment like this. And then when you say that... Poor areas of D.C. where rats are just a part of life. It, but at the, in the same breath, you're saying that wherever you have millions of people, rats are going to be a part of life. You can't have that both ways. Like either it's this affliction that is only within poor neighborhoods or it is. Which it's not. Or it is this thing that everyone is having to deal with in a city. Get used to it. So but let's take on the poor areas of D.C. where rats are just a part of life. And then talking about heroin needles, crack pipes and gunshots that are a part of the quote unquote urban theme ooh, made me cringe a little bit if I'm if I'm going to be honest because aren't these things that maybe we don't want people to have to live in I remember I saw a comment where someone said there's people who have to snuggle up with rats at night be grateful that you're not in that situation that's when we were moving um people are snuggling up with rats well I don't want anyone to be snuggling up with rats I don't want rats that can bring in disease into an environment I don't want poor people to have to live in that environment I don't think that's it's not a foregone conclusion certainly yeah so I I think the environment should be improved yeah also, let, let me address a couple things. I, I mean, maybe we're taking this a little too seriously, and by we, I mean me. Um, but there are also, there's not millions of people here. DC is like 650,000 people. Secondly, the Obamas, who live a couple miles away, guaranteed they have the same fucking problem with rats in their multi million dollar mansion esque house. It's because it's a city thing. Mm hmm. And again, we're not surprised by it. Our reaction was not distasteful. Ugh. Okay, so let's talk about the first time I saw a mouse because it's a funny story. Uh, hang on, Ben. You might want to pause now. We're moving into distasteful territory. <laughs> well, it might be a little bit. So the first wait, wait, wait. T- Give him time. Okay. And- he might be fumbling. To, oh, I got to find the pause button pause okay so my my mom who was six feet tall 225 pounds most of my childhood and was a boxer like a a lady that not a wilting violet shrinking violet yeah no someone that i mean if you looked at her wrong in the grocery store she was going to ask you what the fuck are you looking at and you would be afraid (laughs) you would not know what's happening didn't she fight a lady in a grocery store so we (laughs) um uh Raised by wolves. Yeah. So we were in my childhood home in Meridian, Idaho, and there was a mouse that I saw that I was laying on the ground in the main room, and I looked behind me, and I think Cops was on the TV at the time, classic, and there- Just given a tapestry of detail. There was a little mouse behind the couch that ran toward the fireplace. I think they were coming in and out of the fireplace is how they were getting in the house. I'm not sure. But my mom, haven't made this connection before, also terrified of mice, mm-hmm. which I didn't know until I saw what happened when the mouse ran into the kitchen where she was, and she promptly- jumped up onto the counter like a superhero, grabbed the phone book screaming and tried to throw it 
at the mouse. And I just saw this, you know, six foot tall, 225 pound woman who. She did the old John Cobb Van Damme splits and time cop move. Exactly. <laughs> who's, who's ready to beat someone's ass at the drop of a hat, jump up and scream about a mouse. Yeah. I was like, really? My mom is terrified of mice. That's the thing. My aunt, who was not uh, as physically imposing as your mother, mm -hmm. was also irrationally afraid of mice <laughs> my hoarder aunt so it's like you're just inviting it you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. and my my stepdad a real insensitive prick mm -hmm. knew it found a dead mouse in oh. the hoarder house oh no oh. made like a little sandwich what like went through the trouble to make a sandwich this you, you telling the story just reminded me with bread with bread i think there might have been lettuce or maybe a peanut butter or something and he put the dead mouse inside the sandwich, oh. and he handed the sandwich to my aunt no. and said, hey, what kind of sandwich is this? And she opened it to the dead what? fucking mouse. <laughs> and, I mean, chaos ensued. I it bet, was, I bet. And it wasn't like, oh, that was so funny. It was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, it was... <laughs> this is over. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah. wasn't good. It I mean, was not good. It's a pretty significant betrayal, if I'm... Yeah, if, yeah, it would be like me. What kind of sandwich is this? And you open it, it's just crawling with spiders. Yeah. I'm saying it's like a phobia thing. Yeah, no, I feel like you're getting ideas, which is why I'm... I'm I would never do that. No, you're generating ideas. When do I toy ideas, with you about spiders? You're generating ideas to later terrorize me, and everyone can see what's happening here. <laughs> everyone can see. Everyone, I believe, is on my side and upset right now. I hope they're on your side. Yeah, so they're ready to save me, I hope. <laughs> so anyway, I guess we can we can sum it up like this. Thanks so much for the voicemail, Ben. We appreciate no, your feedback. No, it's, no, uh, no. it's nice to know how distasteful one is and uh, be called out for their distastefulness. Well, no, no, no. This reminded me of a tweet from Chris Cavanaugh, one of the co-hosts of a podcast that I love, Decoding the Gurus. And he wrote, one thing making a podcast has demonstrated to me is how often people fail to recognize how their own baggage skews their perception. People listen to the same conversation and take away wildly different conclusions, most of which fit with their pre-existing views. And this is something we've talked about a lot over the years of doing the show, where we will talk about something and based on the different life experiences of those in the audience, they take it a certain way. Now, we only meant for that intro segment to be lighthearted and entertaining. Yeah, sure. And oftentimes we try to find something that can give us some sense of levity because of lo a lot of what we're talking about and dealing with through most of the day is not. Even me kind of giving Ben some shit and being a dick a little bit is meant for levity and fun. Yeah, so we we try to find those moments before we dive into the Republicans being racist endlessly during the confirmation hearing like we're about to do on this show. Trying to or, strip away women's rights to, to, to reproductive health care. Right. I mean the dystopian <laughs> future that is in our future. Yeah. And we you know, we want it's a little sugar to let the medicine go down. Yeah. So there are people in the audience and we've gotten negative reviews about people who don't like how much we talk about our personal life, which really isn't that much. But uh maybe we should start having like a trigger warning for the intro segment. Like this intro segment is going to be seven minutes long today and in it we are going to talk no, about our personal not, lives it's such a spoiler alert well we're not doing that we're not actually the, you know the other thing is 
Not well, like, it wasn't I, a real pitch. I, I th- okay, just so you okay. know. You're just, it's levity. <laughs> Not for you. The other thing is, the we know where our listeners are based on uh, um, you know analytics, and the vast majority of our audience doesn't live in urban cities with densely populated areas, and they probably don't give this kind of shit thought. Like, we didn't give it thought moving into a city. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're second... I'm now going back into the, the whole thing, but... Well, that is interesting because since we've moved, I've been sharing the rat stories with my friends, and they are surprised. Yeah. That the well, it's ra- not something you think about. Yeah, that the rats are as big as they are, or I even had a friend who moved from Idaho to D.C., and he talked about how before he got here he didn't know that like he wouldn't be able to take his trash out at night because yeah. it, it belongs to the rats at that time. <laughs> and you are going to have to like bring us our treats, <laughs> make a lot of noise to get them out of there. It's, it's, it's a bad situation. So just let them have it at night. And it's a learning curve. I think when you're not used to it, if there is one thing and we can end it here, unless something else strikes you that does, um, that I was surprised by is how similar the gait, the walk, the strut of the rat, how similar it is to the raccoon. <laughs> like, they're, it's almost, you know how they kind of, it looks like they've, okay. they've had they, enough. They have like a weird hump and they're like walking. You expect me to continue to listen to this? <laughs> I'm about to leave. That's all the fuck we need. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, again, thank you, Ben, for your contribution to the show. We appreciate it very much. If you, too, would like to sound off, communicate to us how distasteful we are, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Before we move on, a word from this month's sponsor, Aura. Did you know that the average online consumer has 90 accounts? And with those 90 accounts, do you think that the average online consumer has 90 passwords? How many passwords do you have for your various internet accounts? The answer for most people is not enough. If someone were to get a hold of just one of your passwords, they would probably have access to multiple (laughs) accounts. That is definitely the case with me. This lack of password diversity is just one way in which we are all vulnerable to unwanted account access. And where there is unwanted account access, identity theft is never far behind. If you think this cannot happen to you, consider that U.S. consumers lost $56 billion to identity theft in 2020 alone. Well, we here on the show have a solution, of course. We would like to introduce and thank Aura, a sponsor of the show. In one easy-to-use app, Aura will protect you with fraud monitoring, a VPN, identity theft protection with insurance, password management, and antivirus software. Head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it or click the link in the show notes to sign up for your free Sign up for your free two-week trial and join the more than one million people already protecting their digital security with Aura. Aura will scour the web for use of your emails, passwords, and social security numbers. Their robust VPN will anonymously encrypt your personal information and browsing history. Aura will work to fight against malicious malware trying to infect your computer and spy on your activity. And with your accounts connected to Aura, you will be notified four times faster of security concerns than with any of Aura's competitors. When it comes to fraud, every single second matters. Start your free two-week trial. Start your free... 
two-week trial now by clicking the link in the podcast notes or head to Aura.com forward slash I doubt it. Aura, your online security depends on it. Thanks to Aura for sponsoring the show this month. We appreciate it very much. Uh, again, take advantage of that offer. Free sign up, two weeks. Um, got some follow-up. Speaking of distasteful, there was a story in the news this week that prompted us to go back into the back catalog of the show. And that story was Republican governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, vetoing a bill banning transgender students from playing girls sports. A very good move. That is not distasteful. That is right. What is distasteful is that we had to go back to episode, what, what? What was the episode? 225. And that was from June 17th, 2016. Yeah. That is the first time that we talked about Spencer Cox. Then at that time, Spencer Cox was lieutenant governor and he gave a speech before an LGBT crowd after the Orlando shooting. So we want to refresh your memory about who Spencer Cox is before we get into what happened this week in Utah. The lieutenant governor of Utah came out. And in my estimation, he did this the right way. I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see. The jury's out. We don't know what his, his record going forward will be. But he seems like a stand-up guy who, who stood up in front of an LGBT crowd and gave a very heartfelt speech in the aftermath. We're not going to play the entire speech, but... Uh, a few minutes of it, a couple minutes of it, of him not just saying he's there for them, but apologizing for his past deeds. Thank you for being here tonight on this very solemn and somber occasion. I begin with an admission and an apology. First, I recognize fully that I am a balding, youngish, middle-aged straight white male Republican politician with all of the expectations and privileges that come with those labels. I, I am probably not who you expected to hear from today. I'm here because yesterday morning, 49 Americans were brutally murdered. And it made me sad. And it made me angry. And it made me confused. I'm here because those 49 people were gay. I'm here because it shouldn't matter. But I'm here because it does. Pretty great. Pretty great. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I know exactly what you are going through. I'm not here to tell you that I feel your pain. I don't pretend to know the depths of what you are feeling right now. But I do know what it feels like to be scared. And I do know what it feels like to be sad. And I do know what it feels like to be rejected. And more importantly, I know what it feels like to be loved. I grew up in a small town. I went to a small rural high school. There were some kids in my class that were different than me, and sometimes I wasn't kind to them. I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that they were gay. I regret not treating them with the kindness, dignity, and respect, the love that they deserved. For that, I sincerely and humbly apologize. 
So we went on to talk about, we're back in real time, by the way. We're back from 2016. That's the time machine. We went on to talk about how that was a good speech and a good thing that he did. But we focused on how important it would be to continue to watch his record and see if he was going to put action with words. And so that was 2016. Now we're in 2022 and he's now governor. And he took this action to veto this bill. Governor Spencer Cox has vetoed the bill that bans transgender children from playing school sports. Now the Utah State Legislature is planning to override it. Fox 13 News political reporter Ben Winslow broke the story earlier today. He's on Capitol Hill with the latest. As he threatened to do, Governor Cox vetoed House Bill 11. But here on Capitol Hill, the House and Senate believe they flipped enough votes for an override. That will happen on Friday. The bill will be changed in a special session. There will still be a ban in place, but if Utah loses an inevitable lawsuit, the state defaults to a special commission to determine eligibility if a transgender child wishes to play school sports. Governor Cox raised concerns that school districts would be on the hook for millions in legal fees in that lawsuit, but sources tell me the bill will be modified and the legislature will come up with $500,000 for legal indemnification. That would need a future special session because it involves taxpayer money. Some lawmakers are facing tough re-election battles, so they're changing their votes, giving the legislature the ability to override the governor's veto. LGBTQ rights groups are disappointed. It's incredibly disappointing that, that this uh, boogeyman that we've created, these young kids, are warning so much attention, so much extra effort to try and, and shut some young people out of opportunities seems a bit much. It's hard not to take it in a way that's seen as disingenuous, that this is about political advantage, this is about anything except for these young people who we claim to be protecting. The House Speaker and Senate President say they want to ensure girls are not edged out of sports, which is why they want to override the governor's veto. According to the Utah High School Activities Association, there are four transgender children currently playing sports that this bill impacts out of 75,000 students statewide. On the Hill, Ben Winslow, Fox 13 News, Utah. So I want to take a minute to read from a lengthy letter that Spencer Cox put on his Twitter account at Spencer J. Cox. And in it, he writes, here are the numbers that have most impacted my decision. 75,000, 4, 1, 86, 56. 75,000 high school kids participating in high school sports in Utah. Four transgender kids playing high school sports in Utah. One transgender student playing girl sports. 86% of trans youth reporting suicidality. 56% of trans youth having attempted suicide. Four kids and only one of them playing girl sports. That's what all of this is about. Four kids. Four kids who aren't dominating or winning trophies. We're taking scholarships. Fuck. Four kids who are just trying to find some friends and feel like they are a part of something. Four kids trying to get through each day. Rarely has so much fear and anger been directed at so few. I don't understand what they are going through or why they feel the way that they do, but I want them to live. And all of the research shows that even a little acceptance and connection can reduce suicidality significantly. For that reason, as much as any other, I have taken this action in the hope that we can continue to work together and find a better way. 
If a veto override occurs, I hope we can work to find ways to show these four kids that we love them and that they have a place in our state. I recognize the political realities of my decision. Politically, it would be much easier and better for me to simply sign the bill. I have always tried to do what I feel is the right thing regardless of the consequences. Sometimes I don't get it right. And I do not fault those who disagree with me. But even if you disagree with me, I hope this letter helps you understand the reasons for my decision. So I think I think it's safe to say that the jury is still out. But this is a, a, a Republican Mormon in an overwhelmingly Republican Mormon state making the right decision and putting the lives of trans kids ahead of his political benefit, ahead of his political career, just like he did back in um, 2016 mm-hmm. when we talked about it before. Yeah. Well, and I think it shouldn't be so surprising to see this from a Republican because all the ask... I mean, in a perfect world. Yeah, all the ask here is for compassion. Yeah. I mean, citing stats on suicidality within the trans community that that seems like a common sense thing to do and say why are we focusing on this when this is harming people why is the pro-life party not focused on that metric right rather they want to score cheap culture war political points gin up fear in their base and at the at, at the at the detriment of maybe the most marginalized community in the country and when the number is so small i mean it, it's to call it insignificant is a, a fucking joke yeah that they are wasting how much time debating arguing writing up legislation i mean can't they do something important, something that yeah. matters with the power that they have instead of wasting their time and wasting their power? This is the focus? Yeah, aren't there abortions to ban? Well, uh, it's a joke, but I mean, <laughs> this is what we are. Well, this is what we this is what we have in our country with the Republican Party right now, and there are so few. It does speak to exactly what the Republican Party is about when we are surprised. When one of them does the right fucking thing. Yeah. And is decent and gives the reason that is about compassion. I mean, you know, Mormons talk about family values. Christians talk about family values. Conservatives talk about family values. About being the party of life and and and, and, and being Christ-like. Mm-hmm. And then they they sacrifice on the altar of culture war, trans kids, right. fucking children. Yeah. So good. I mean, he, he, we could just make him taking care of biz today mm-hmm. without playing the theme song because he is not just talking the talk. He's walking the walk. And in my estimation, look, it's not to say this is some Messiah figure. 
He's he's for sure making all kinds of fucking bad decisions and 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 voting for terrible policy. Even that entire letter wasn't great. There were right. things in it that weren't great. Sure. That part I thought was particularly moving. But I think it's good to say what you're saying that this isn't someone to uh, deify and right. think that he's a perfect person because he he is still within the Republican Party. But good for him for trying to get people to be a little bit more understanding and compassionate and recognize that they are actively doing harm. Yeah. And on this one thing, he's not fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. He he made a, a, a good choice on this particular thing. And, you know, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. And this one particular thing is very important because actual lives of children are at stake. This is the uh, um, the modern day civil rights fight of our time. This is it. Is trans rights, and good for Spencer Cox for not uh, fucking it up. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We need some tissues for the table. (laughs) If this is going to be a regular thing. This is the way the show goes. We're criers. We love people. We just yes. hate fucking rats. Okay. Listen, Ben. <laughs> Listen, we love the people. Mm-hmm. The people. <laughs> we just don't like the rats. Yes. Okay. Thank you to the new Patreon. As distasteful as that is. Thank you to our <laughs> new Patreon supporters, Don L. Don L. Sherry Ann W. Sherry Ann W. Tyrone M. Tyrone M. Billy B. Billy B. Jennifer D. Jennifer D. And then we would like to get a special shout out to our Patreon supporters who have increased their pledges. And we want to give a shout out to Hillary H. Hillary H. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Hillary H. Also, Erica H. Erica H. And then this is interesting. Uh, the real Jesse Dollimore. Come on now. The real Jesse Dollimore, <laughs> I begrudgingly announce. Yeah, so... B- by the way, just so you guys are, are if you're wondering, mm-hmm. I'm not giving to the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for confirming that. So you have an imposter. Maybe, maybe there's, it's like a clone situation or like a... The alternate universe, Jesse Dollimore. Yeah, well, Except I guess- the real, which would indicate I'm the fake. Yeah, that this would is a fucking attack. That. This is an attack on my very being. Mm-hmm. It will not stand. Mm-hmm. Banned anyway. from the show. <laughs> banned from the show. The other Jesse Dollimores are fucking banned from the show. Yeah. So don't forget this weekend our Patreon hangout, the last Saturday of every month. That is when they are. So it is this Saturday, March twenty sixth at one p.m. Eastern time. One p.m. Eastern time. 
1 p.m. Eastern time. 1 p.m. Eastern time. All right. So we'll see you there. (laughs) (laughs) We really do appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for all of your loyalty and listenership, your dedication to the show, helping us move the conversation forward on an episode-by-episode basis. Uh, Without your support, it... um, it likely would not have lasted eight years, and it likely would not continue to last into the years into the future. We love you, and we appreciate you very much, and uh, we can't say enough. All right, moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown-Jackson have been going on this week, and they have been playing out maybe exactly as you would have expected. The grievance politics of the Republican Party is on full display, and they are getting their payback. Mm. Ah, Frothing at the mouth about the treatment of uh, Bart O'Kavanaugh, boofer extraordinaire, and, and Amy Coney Barrett. And Amy Coney Barrett. And, and, and they're not even doing it in a veiled way. There have been several references that I've heard. You've caught uh, a, a larger portion of the live hearings than I have. Mm-hmm. But, but the, 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 the pieces that I have heard, they have even asked the nominee, Judge Jackson, what she thought about the previous hearings, even. I mean, they're yeah. questioning her. Did you think it was fair? What did you think about it? Yeah. Ah. That, and that was Lindsey Graham specifically asking her about whether she would find it fair if they were to withhold information and then bring it out. And, you know, just just talking about his view of what happened with Brett Kavanaugh. And she had to sit there and try to deal with what is very clearly just a political display for television yes. to rile up the base that's going to later be played on Hannity and Tucker Carlson and had to just kind of sit there and manage Lindsey Graham's feelings for him. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't like that. <laughs> well, he also had two, like, explosive ends what he's saying, turns off his mic and turns around and walks away. Yeah. Like he like. It was it's all performance. All, it's all performative. It's all theater for these fucking freaks. So much so that he went on Hannity and T- Ted Cruz goes on Fox News as well. And it's almost as if like, did you see what I said? Did you did you see the moment I was up on the mic? I mean, they are engineering this to make Fox News sound bites. Absolutely. And actually, there was a photographer who works for the LA Times and the photographer caught a photo of Ted Cruz checking Twitter for his own name, searching Twitter for his own name, right after he had this very heated and dramatic exchange with Chairman Durbin. So he he's doing it for the cameras. They are doing it for the cameras. They know exactly what they're doing. So we're, we're not going to play too much of the hearing, but we are going to go through just enough to kind of give you a flavor of what this was all about. And we're going to start with Ted Cruz, who is very concerned about whether Judge Jackson is willing to protect fundamental rights. The reason the American people care about the Supreme Court is it is integral to protecting or taking away our constitutional rights. When it comes to free speech, 
This committee should inquire, will you protect the rights of Americans to speak, to say unpopular ideas, to say ideas that the government doesn't want you to say that you nonetheless have a right to say? Will you protect freedom or restrict it? When it comes to religious liberty, will a justice vote to protect your right to live according to your faith and according to your conscience? Or will a justice vote to crush religious liberty and strip those rights away? The Second Amendment. Will a justice vote to defend your Second Amendment rights to keep and bear arms, to defend your family, to defend your children? Or will a justice roll over to the Democrats that want a disarmed citizenry? It is a remarkable, I mean, really, it is It is theater mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. He goes into that oratory style where it's almost as though he's standing behind a pulpit. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna rage on about God and my rights and the Constitution of these United States of America, y'all. Shut the fuck up, Ted Cruz. Nobody <laughs> buys your shit. Even people of your own party don't buy your bullshit, brother. Yeah. God damn. So this was on day one before the questioning began. And I thought this was a funny clip because <laughs> You know, he's asking, is she going to roll over for the left? And I mean, that's what they're appointing people to do. Roll over for the right. Right. And appease the right and do what you want them to do, which is take away uh, rights for an abortion for health care. Now they're going after gay marriage. There was a large, yes. a large portion of the questioning focused on gay marriage. Next will be contraception. After that, even even Mike Braun, which I think we have a clip here, saying that the Supreme Court made a wrong decision about uh, interracial marriage. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, we're going back to the fifties here of shit they want to reverse. Yeah, and we'll get to that too. But it's not lost on anyone that Judge Jackson is married to a white man. Yeah, and they're talking about the decision was wrong on interracial marriage as she is in her confirmation hearing. With her husband sitting right behind her in frame. Yeah, we all understand what's happening. For sure. So Lindsey Graham, of course, we we talked a little bit about him. And he went into a little diatribe specifically because he's still upset about what the left did to Amy Coney Barrett. And now Senator Graham. Thank you, uh, Judge. Again, congratulations. I want to talk to you a little bit about family and faith because in your opening statement and the people who uh, introduced you to the committee, uh, there was very glowing praise of uh, you as a person, a good friend. Uh, You have a wonderful family. You should be proud, and your faith matters to you. What faith are you, by the way? Senator, I am um, Protestant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Non-denominational. Okay. Could you fairly judge a Catholic? Senator, I have a record of fairly judging everyone. I believe you can. I'm just (laughs) asking this question because how important is your faith to you? Senator, personally, um, my faith is very important. um, But as you know... There's no religious test in the Constitution under under Article Six, and there will be none with me. And <laughs> while he um, asks the question, it, it's very important to set aside one's personal views, yeah, about things I, I, in the role of a judge. I couldn't agree with you more, and I believe you can, 
So, uh, on a scale of one to ten, how faithful would you say you are? What? In terms of religion. You know, I go to church probably three times a year, so that speaks poorly of me. <laughs> or do you, do you attend church regularly? Well, Senator, I am reluctant to talk about my faith in this way just because I want to be um, mindful of the need for the public to uh, have confidence in my ability to separate out my personal views. Well, how would you feel if a senator up here said, your faith, a dogma lives loudly within you and that's of concern? How would you feel if somebody up here on our side said, you know, you attend church too much for me or your faith is a little bit different to me and they would suggest that it would affect your decision? Would you find that offensive? Senator, I'm... I'm I would if I were you. Uh. I found it offensive when they said it about Judge Barrett. The reason I ask these questions is I have no doubt that your faith is important to you, and I have zero doubt that you can adjudicate people's cases fairly if they're an atheist. If I had any doubt, I would, I would say so. But the only reason I mention this, Judge, you're reluctant to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Just imagine what would happen if people on late-night television called you an effing nut speaking in tongues because you practiced the Catholic faith in a way they uh, couldn't relate to or found uncomfortable. Well, they'd probably be Jesse Dollimore who says that it's <laughs> nutty as fuck to be talking in a language that's not a language, thinking that it's a heavenly language, and then having some crazy lady in the back do the interpretation of the message in tongues in like King James speak. Here's is, what he, I, is he talking about me right now? I was think that an attack from Lindsey Graham on me? It was. <laughs> it was. Um, so this is something that I think Lindsey Graham should have taken up directly with Diane Feinstein if he had such a problem. Like yeah. he's been harboring this for years. You mean his <laughs> mutual hug partner? Yes, I forgot that that was them. Yes, so but yeah. but he's really upset about this. Apparently, still has it been years? It feels like it's been years since Amy Coney Barrett was uh, confirmed it, to the Supreme Court. It was Donald Trump's final year, so it was okay. twenty nineteen. Okay, so this uh, twenty twenty. Excuse me. This segment number one. If you're going to ask someone on a scale of one to ten what they view, you need to define what one in ten means. Just a just a tip for Lindsey Graham. You got to define what the one would be and you got to define right. what the 10 would be. It's his, his, his little Likert scale. Yeah. You can't, you can't answer that question without those things being defined. But this also shows that Lindsey Graham doesn't really have any concern about judge Jackson or her record because this is how he chose to spend his time. Three minutes, roughly yes. three minutes rambling on and on and on in grievance of the way that uh, Amy Coney Barrett was questioned. And, by the way, as a matter of clarification for the audience's edification, the reason those questions are asked of Amy Coney Barrett is because she lives her life based on her faith. If she's making rulings based on her faith, and her faith requires her to uh, impinge upon people's reproductive health care rights... It fucking matters. Well, and that was something that Lindsey Graham wasn't hearing. Um, Judge Jackson wasn't saying, I don't want to talk about this because it's personal. That's what Lindsey Graham made the claim. Of course you wouldn't want to talk about this. It's personal. Uh, 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 that's not what she said. She doesn't want to talk about this because 
She doesn't want to give the impression to the general public that she's using her faith right. to guide her decision making or that she has a bias. And that was the problem with Amy, Amy Coney Barrett is she does not do the same thing. That and also the fact that she couldn't name the rights that are protected under the First Amendment of the Constitution. She left out like freedom of assembly or something. I mean. She's now a Supreme Court justice. So this little dance that Lindsey Graham was doing, like I said, shows that he doesn't have any actual concern about her or her record because he did complain about the time that he had. He asked for more time, just like Ted Cruz did, claiming that he was uh, being filibustered, was being interrupted. Obviously, he doesn't care about the record because he would have gotten right to it. Right. Now, he eventually did because one of the things that the right really honed in on was Judge Jackson's record of sentencing child pornography cases. And this was, I think, the most diabolical and dangerous aspect of the confirmation hearings because we have these questions under the backdrop of QAnon. Right. Also, that's a great point. Also, that they knew right-wing media would fucking run away with this and have this be the only thing they talked about. Right. So, Lindsey Graham eventually got to his quote-unquote concerns about her record on sentencing child pornography. Your view of how to deter child pornography is not my view. I think you're doing it wrong, and every judge who does what you're doing is making it easier for the children to be exploited. If you're on a computer right now looking at a kid in a sexually compromising situation and you get caught, I hope nobody gives you a break because you use the computer. The conduct that's been described is reprehensible, and I think everyone in this room agrees. And the fact of the matter is that I'm co-sponsor of your bill, the Earned Act, and I believe that we should be doing our job here. But part of our job, Dick we Durbin, by the way, in responding to the changing circumstances that face this crime. What has it been, 15 or 16 years? She is currently not an outlier in sentencing. 70% of the federal judges face the same dilemma and wonder why Congress has failed to act and when it will act. So this is our fault? Part of, partially it is, Senator. To be honest with you, it is. We have to upgrade these guidelines and decide whether we're going to stick with the Supreme Court decision that they're not mandatory. Senator Feinstein. Thank you very much, um, Mr. Chairman. Um, I would like to compliment the witness uh, you've been answering, I think, close to 15 hours worth of questions. And I know how difficult this is and hard it is. But Especially when Republican after Republican is trying to essentially say that, like Lindsey Graham did there, that she is, quote unquote, making it easier for children to be exploited. Right. With the sentences that she gives. That's, Al- that's the sentence that he Almost gives. as though she's an advocate for uh, child pornographers. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd. And you heard Chairman Dick Durbin there explain that she is not an outlier when it comes to sentencing. And Judge Jackson repeatedly said that she's not making policy around sentencing, that she's given the sentencing guidelines and she decides based based on various factors which sentence to give. Yeah, and- she, she, she went into to great detail about the fact that uh, sentencing the way it's all written right now is surrounding transfer of, of uh, child pornography in the mail mm-hmm. and how much you possess or, or, or are participating in it. Mm-hmm. And that you can, in the same time that it takes you to get um, 50,000 images 
over the internet, mm-hmm. it would take you months and months and months and months over the mail, mm-hmm. and it would show and demonstrate a pattern right. of behavior, and that's why there's a disparity in sentencing if you spend five minutes online. But it's not her decision. These are sentencing guidelines that are uh, outside of her purview. They are both from Congress. I mean, if, if, if Lindsey Graham is so fucking concerned about this, write a law, brother. Mm-hmm. That's your job. Your job isn't to rail on about culture war bullshit. Mm-hmm. Your job is to write legislation, get it to the desk of the president, have it signed into law, and then these judges will have to follow that. Right. Well, and she repeatedly, repeatedly tried to tell them this, and they don't care because that's not the purpose of these questions. The purpose of these questions is not actually to problem solve or shed light on a serious problem that they're very concerned about. The goal of these questions is to raise suspicion and gin up support within the base. And that's why it's so dangerous, because when you have people like these QAnon people, they are dangerous and they are going to hear this and their little QAnon conspiracy theory minds are going to go wild. It validates everything that they already believe in their conspiracy brains. Yes. So it's very alarming. Well, the other thing that, that really is, was the fo- it was so clear, is that the questions that are being asked of her are not questions that would have been asked of a nominee five years ago even. Mm-hmm. Because that wasn't the culture war du jour. Right. That wasn't the, the 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 soup of the day for the for the meat and potatoes for the base, mm-hmm. and it was it was no more evident than Marsha Blackburn asking for the nominee for the the soon to be vacant Supreme Court seat, asking her to define what a woman is. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm you not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Well, it seems that Marsha Blackburn has also been a victim of this dangerous progressive education because she was on with Fox News' John Roberts, and John Roberts asked Marsha Blackburn, what would you say is the definition of a woman? ...of the word woman. So, Senator, let, let me just ask you this question. So, if you were on that stand and a senator asked you to define the word woman, what would you say? I would say, I am a woman. I am a female. Females are women. Uh, this is... And I pointed, bear in mind, I had already pointed to... Justice Ginsburg's ruling in the VMI case. Oh, my. Can you? Def- oh, yes, I can define a woman. I am a woman. <laughs> I am a female. Well, that's what fe- female doesn't mean woman. So, an infant, a three month old female, it, is that 
That's a woman? Well, I think the answer that Marsha Blackburn was looking for is that a woman is Marsha Blackburn. <laughs> That's right. That yeah. is exactly right. Yeah. So there's only one woman. Yeah. She's really, really putting to work her her bachelor's degree in home ec. Yeah. Which, by the way, I thought was a fucking joke. I saw Kevin Cruz. I think his name is Ke- He's a historian. I don't know. And he made a quip about her having a degree in home ec. And I was like, well, that's not a thing, right? And I look, yes. She has a, a bachelor's degree in home economics that she got in like 1974. Yeah. I remember in home ec, we learned how to make monkey bread and we made it out of like those pop up. Pop. Not out of monkeys? The the canisters <laughs> with the dough that pops. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we uh, just like... Like Pillsbury, berry, whatever. Biscuits, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just like sliced up a bunch of biscuits and covered it in sugar. I'm like, this is amazing. It was... I remember it being the best thing I've ever had. So you and Marsha... And Senator Marsha Blackburn have a, a similar educational background. Yes, exactly. It, monkey bread science. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ted Cruz, his performance art didn't always go as planned, you know. As you would expect it to for him to fall on his face a few times. Yeah, you get a little confused when you're performing for the cameras. You forget what you're doing, and that happened to be one of my favorite moments. Explain to this committee and the American people why in 100% of the cases, you have people with vile crimes, and you have language saying they're vile crimes. But then you sentence them to very, very low sentences. And, and why do you consistently, 100% of the time, choose to do that? Senator, no one case can stand in for a judge's entire sentencing record. I've sentenced more than 100 people. You have eight or nine cases okay. in that chart. Okay, Judge, you said that before. The, these are the eight or nine child porn cases. I will say to correct the record. I I'm just say about. to the judge, there's no point in responding. He's going to interrupt you. Thank you. Look, I appreciate the chairman trying to filibuster. And if you don't like your witnesses' answers, you're, you're welcome to provide your own. Uh, she, she is declining to answer the question. And, and Chairman Durbin, if you want to join her on the, on the, on the bench, you can. But I, Chairman Durbin, uh, my job is to make Chairman sure Durbin, I'm not interrupting answer. your questioning. I'm and, asking you to give her a chance to answer. But she has consistently said she's not going to answer. I want to clarify for the record, by the way, the case I was discussing was Cooper and not Chazen. Uh, but Chazen <laughs> is uh, uh, the case that I was reading from your transcript was Cooper. But Chazen. All right, let's get to Chazen. I pulled the wrong tab. Uh, Chazen is equally horrifying, and, and you say, oh, Chazen, there's something fucking fantastic. <laughs> Theodore Cruz. Oh, he pulled the wrong tabby tab. And then, and then, uh, and then you hear, well, that, no, not Cooper. Uh, uh, <laughs> just hold on one second. I'm going to get to it. Yeah. Hold on. We've all been there, right? No, no, we haven't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've definitely been there. Um, Stepping in my own shit, for sure. So, Ted Cruz uh, unsuccessfully making a scene at that moment because he fumbled his cases. But I loved another moment where Patrick Leahy... and The I, octogenarian from he, Vermont. Yes, he's been around for a long time. He specifically calls out Ted Cruz's behavior for what it is. The junior senator, the I know the junior senator from Texas likes to get on television. But most of us have been here a long time trying to follow the rules. Uh and he could very easily hand you a letter to go in the record. He's saying he's doing this to help uh, Senator Hawley. Senator Hawley could have put it in, and he didn't. But let's get back to regular. Senator Hawley. A great moment. Yeah, well, what does it say 
about Ted Cruz when you're getting fucking owned by the 80-plus-year-old uh, Leahy. Yeah. I mean, Leahy was an old man when I worked for the Senate, and that was a lifetime ago. Yes. So this was very frustrating, very maddening to watch. The treatment of Judge Jackson was wildly unacceptable. The fact that she is expected to sit there and take this while you heard Ted Cruz ask why she's giving light sentences for people that have been um, convicted of heinous and terrible crimes against children. I mean... In the moment, you just wish that she was able to say, are you trying to insinuate that I yeah. am a part of these crimes, that I support these cr- That I mean, what are you trying to insinuate? Well, you're, you're a prick, dude. The, you, you just want her to right. be able to say that. The problem is, is that with any other, like, for instance, uh, Kavanaugh went unhinged, deployed the scorched earth Trump method of communication during his hearing. Right. And it didn't count against him. He ended up being, because of certain uh, Democrats voting for him, he ended up getting getting put in. Right. But if she was to do that, it absolutely would count against her because she's already working from a deficit in the eyes of the Congress. She's a black woman. Right. And she has to toe the fucking line. And it's unfortunate because she's the she's going to be when she's confirmed the most experienced judge on the Supreme Court right now. Yes. In terms of her her experience being a district judge, being an appellate judge, being a Supreme Court clerk, um, public school educated Ivy League law school, all of the being on the sentencing commission, all of the things. Do you have the chart in front of you? Yeah, you think I missed. one. I think you named all of them. I missed one. You did. Yeah. Oh, she was a public defender. You said sentencing commission. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I got them all. Clerking, you said? I said clerking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to low-key flex right now. Is That's what you're not trying a to do. flex. Okay, so one of the best moments was Cory Booker kind of giving her a brief moment of reprieve from the attacks. And there was also a great moment with Senator Alex Padilla where he asked her what she would say in the most diverse generation in our nation's history, what she would say to them who may doubt that they can one day achieve the same great heights that she has. That um, I will tell them what uh, an anonymous person said to me once. I was walking through Harvard Yard my freshman year. As I mentioned, I went to uh, public school, and I didn't know anything about Harvard until um, my debate coach took me there to enter a speech competition, and I thought, this is a great university. It was basically one of the only ones I'd seen, and I said, maybe I'll apply when I'm a senior, but I get there, and whoa, (laughs) so different. I'm from Miami, Florida. Boston is very cold. Um, it was um, it was rough. It was different from anything I'd known. There were lots of students there who were um, prep school kids like my husband, <laughs> um, who knew all about <laughs> knew all about Harvard, and, and that was not not me. And I think the first semester I was really homesick. I was really questioning, um, do I belong here? Can I, can I make it in this 
environment and I was walking through the yard in the evening and a black woman I did not know was passing me on the sidewalk and she looked at me and I guess she knew how I was feeling and she leaned over as we crossed and said persevere I would tell them to persevere. Wow. A couple things come to mind. And that is encouragement like that, that you you might not think matters in the moment. It very well could have changed the trajectory of her life. It's an unsung hero, someone we don't know who it is. Whoever that woman is. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yeah. I also, I love the emotionality. I know that there has been like some discussion on Twitter. I, I about saw the that. Crying and, Shittiness about the crying. And I just think it's weird that we have this societal expectation that we all behave as robots when we're out in public, you know, like, hi, how are you? Good. How are you? We're all, yeah. everything's great. Um, well, also, Brett Kavanaugh was crying about his love of fucking beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's right. not allowed to cry? Yes. She is absolutely allowed to cry. And I think the fact that she shared this story, that she is sharing so much of herself with the world and is doing it with that emotionality, that that is going to move people and inspire people. And it was definitely a great moment. I unfortunately want to turn to something terrible now. On that very positive note, which is Charlie Kirk. Ugh, well, period. That's it. All right, moving on. <laughs> but the reason that we're going to play this audio from Charlie Kirk is because it really sums up quite well what all of the attacks on Judge Jackson are actually about. And as you're listening to this, I want you to listen for the many, we can't even call them dog whistles, but... I guess we'll go with that. Just listen to the many dog whistles. Katanji Brown Jackson is what your country looks like on critical race theory. KBJ is your country on CRT. KBJ, Katanji Brown Jackson, is an embodiment of the tyranny that we currently live under. She's an ideological, unintelligent, yet confident fanatic who is so dismissive that you might even ask the question of what a woman is. And so when she's not even able to answer simple questions on biological reality or the natural law that anchors the Constitution, then how can she possibly be prepared to defend it or the purpose of the Constitution? The answers from KBJ, outside of the fact that she won't answer the very simple ones, such as what is a woman, reveal a distaste, a distaste for our structure. How will KBJ ever decide a case on a woman's right to choose? How will KBJ ever decide a case on affirmative action if she can't tell us what a woman actually is? 
So she wants to be the first ever black woman on the Supreme Court, yet she won't even admit that she's a woman. And of course, the media is playing along. The New York Times thinks like this is awesome, like, whoa, she's so smart. She's at such another level that she won't even play the game of answering what a man and a woman is. Brilliant. No, actually, that's a mark of the unwise. The unwise person takes something that makes sense and makes it complicated. So we've bashed against CRT a lot here on this program, and we're going to continue to. What do you get when you start to platform and implement critical race theory into every single corner of American society, in your corporations, in your schools? Your children and your grandchildren are going to have to take orders from people like her. And what's amazing is that she kind of has an attitude, too. You look carefully at some of those videos, she kind of just... She's like, what? Why are, you answer- Why are you asking me such a question, Senator? She feels entitled to this position. Why wouldn't she? It's not like she got this position based on her qualifications. <laughs> it's not like she was selected because of her amazing rulings. Of course not. And most Republicans are treating her very carefully because they don't want to have to have MSNBC say this is racist. And in fact, they're already saying that. Did you, you, you heard the Republicans um, treating her very delicately, right? Yeah, so delicately. Just kid gloves. Your, chi- your children and your grandchildren are going to have to take orders from people like her. Yeah. I mean, that is a also, perfect distillation of their worldview, is it not? She is unintelligent. Yeah, imagine being Charlie Kirk and saying that Judge Jackson is unintelligent. By the way, I went to his Wikipedia because I don't know a lot about his background. I know that he's a heinous person that I would never want to be around and would immediately try to get away from if he was in near proximity. But this says... With, with, a, with also just a, a, a swollen, pulpy, massive dome. Just his head is like a fucking Zeppelin. So his Wikipedia page, you know, it's <laughs> Wikipedia, but it says, in a 2015 speech at the Liberty Forum of Silicon Valley, Kirk stated that he had applied to the United States Military Academy in West Point, New York, and was not accepted. Now, here's going to be a shocker for you after what you just heard. He said that the... uh, He couldn't fit a helmet on his head. He he said that, quote, the slot he considered his went to a far less qualified candidate of a different gender and a different persuasion whose test scores he claimed he knew. In 2015, Kirk told The Atlantic that he was taking part-time online classes at the King's College and he was taking classes at classes at Harper College, a community college near Chicago, but dropped out to pursue conservative activism. Yeah, real smart guy. Well, and listen, I come from community college. I love community no, I'm not colleges. Saying he's, I'm not saying he's not smart because he's not Ivy League. I'm saying he's not smart because he's a dumb fuck. Yeah, no, I'm just saying when you get into these conversations, it, it can kind of tiptoe around like smart people go to Harvard. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you go to community college, you're not smart, whatever, but... Well, we know dumb people who are Ivy League. Oh, <laughs> but it's it, but it's it's not. Uh, that's not the the be all end all. It's yeah. if you look down that chart that we were just referring to, right? With it, her it experience, is, holy fuck, she is wildly qualified. Maybe the most qualified nominee for chief justice or just associate justice in the history of the court. Right. So when he is directly saying that this is what your country looks like on critical race theory, 
your children and your grandchildren are going to have to take orders from people like her. We all know what this is. Exactly. And if you don't, you need to read something because this is classic white power movement shit. And that is now mainstream. It is mainstream. There are people listening to this. People actually watch him, follow him, believe he's a thought leader, which is terrifying. And this is what all the attacks are about. This is what they're actually about, is that a black woman is going to be elevated to a position of power. They're afraid. They don't like it. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. We would love to know what you think about all this. If you have things to add, we'd love to hear them. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Mike Braun. <laughs> Mike Braun. I, I kind of spoiled it earlier when I talked about his uh, the jackassery during an interview, a televised interview. Mm-hmm. He is a United States senator from Indiana, and he was asked during a recorded conversation about judicial activism and which cases he believes the Supreme Court should strike down including the right to abortion, and then the question came up of interracial marriage. So you would be okay with the Supreme Court leaving the question of interracial marriage to the states? Yes, I think that that's something that uh, if you're not wanting the Supreme Court to weigh in on issues like that, uh, you're not going to be able to have your cake and eat it too. I think that's hypocritical about Griswold versus Connecticut. Do well, you, you can think? list a whole host of issues when it comes down to whatever they are. Uh, I'm going to say that they're not going to all make you happy uh, within a given state, but that we're better off having states manifest their points of view rather than homogenizing it across the country as Roe versus Wade did. So let me rephrase that. We're better off having states outlaw interracial marriage than having reciprocity between the states where uh, all marriages are recognized. That's what he's saying. That the Supreme Court doesn't have standing, doesn't have business making rulings, making, uh, recognizing interracial marriage. And if, listen, if you have states that aren't going to recognize interracial marriage, you know you're going to have states that don't recognize same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. And he's advocating for that. Clearly plainly understood the question because now he's like oh good man uh i didn't i didn't understand the question he says yes he said quote earlier during a virtual press conference i misunderstood a line of questioning that ended up being about interracial marriage let me be clear on that issue there is no question the constitution prohibits discrimination of any kind based on race that is not something that is even up for debate i condemn racism in any form at all levels and by any states entities or individuals unless the state want to you know not homogenize it out like he just said yeah he's a fucking coward he is a liar and he is reprehensible yeah if you don't heard it here not first for folks if you (laughs) if you don't understand the question and he's been in a position of power long enough to understand this if you don't understand the question 
you ask for clarification. You don't answer a question that you don't understand because you want to kind of get out in front of messes that you create, right? Yeah, so, well, it, it, this also is part and parcel, pattern and practice right now for the Repo- Republican Party who have just completely um, ditched all dog whistles. Oh, yeah. This is for a certain audience, and it is the Republican base. Yes, absolutely. Just gross. Yeah, it's where we are. So once again, another show, as distasteful as it may have been, in the hopper. We have a hopper, by the way, if you didn't know. It's part of our workflow here on I Doubt It Podcast. We will try to be more tasteful going forward. I will not try to be more tasteful. I am who I am. Mm-hmm. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. It will be a one, one-sided goal, then. Uh, only from this end of the table. That is right. <laughs> We'd love to know what you think. Once again, please call in. Sound off. It was a brief voicemail. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. If you've been on the fence, you've been thinking about maybe supporting the show financially on Patreon, we would invite you to keep thinking about it. Maybe make a decision. Go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. There you can help support and produce what we do on a on a week-to-week basis, helping us move the conversation forward, being a part of the team. We love you guys. We will see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.